Hello. In this second podcast of the series, private investor Mark Atkinson will be offering his personal review of touchscreen manufacturer Zitronic. And, as usual, he'll be providing some insights into his 40 years of investing experience. Welcome to the Desert Island Investor. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon to you, Paul. Well, it's a lovely day on the island. The sun is shining. And today we're going to be talking a little about investing in high-tech companies, specifically in a company that manufactures the interface between machines and humans, which is touchscreen manufacturer Zitronic. Touchscreens have become a huge part of everybody's lives now. We use them when we're taking money out of the bank machine on the high street, and we use them when we're ordering food at McDonald's. So, Mark, what's your story behind your decision to invest in Zitronic? Well, with I'd like to think uh, most or nearly all of my investments, it's, it's long-term, the long-term drivers of, and fortunes, hopefully, that this business has got. Um, I see touchscreens and the way that we interact with products or whether it be vending or gaming or signage having a long-term future so this is something i think that uh, and i'm not just looking 12 months ahead i'm looking you know 10 20 30 years now this company's been in business a long time mark what's their history well they were listed on aim in 2000 but the company goes back to 1943 so they're making touch sensors or touch screens now, but uh, that's not always the the business that they've, they've been involved in. Previous to that, they were making things like uh, protection for cathode ray tubes and optical filters. But they've also manufactured curved ballistic visors for bomb disposal. So uh, just let me know if you want to give one of those a bit of a trial, Paul. So what are the main applications for Zitronic's touch screens? Yeah, well, the main the main categories for Zytronic are, are gaming and vending. Uh, in the past, it's been financials, but that's 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 taken a little bit of a hit. Uh, industrials, where you know people are using a touchscreen to operate a, a machine, and uh, and, sil- and signage. I nearly said silage there, signage, but um, you know it's got a good spread of of activities, which is always something that I like. It's not reliant on one, you know, for example, you know, just going back to the financials, that's taken a little bit of a hit. It's not been, you know, too damaging to the business overall. Did COVID have a serious impact on the business? Massive COVID, massive impact COVID. You know, that's one of those things whereby, you know, when you're looking at your your investments and you try and factor in as many things as you can and then you get a black swan event like COVID comes along and, you know, some businesses have, have bounced back, but this one's really taken a hit. Um, but, you know, the, the world's gone into shutdown for a couple of years and, we, you know, we've got to look at it, you know, we're looking at it from a UK perspective. Um, if you look uh, around the world, you know, it's, you know, some people are emerging out of it a little bit later than what we are. So it's um, it's been a massive hit. It stopped a, a lot of important things to the business like uh, trade shows, which are very, very important. And even going down to, you know, touch screens, people weren't wanting to touch anything, were they? So that 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 doesn't help. So, uh, so which is quite interesting because uh, on, the, on the back of that, you know, some of their touch screens are now non-touch. They're hover touch. 
So in order to get round that, that is, a, you know, they've got, a, I think it's about, you know, 30 millimetres away. Once you get with, within a, a certain distance of the screen, you are, are interacting with it. So that's, you know, out of necessity is the mother of invention. So um, that, that could be a, a real winner. But certainly it, it, it's a business that's, that, that's, that's been hit hard through COVID. The components problem that, that's been well documented has, has hit them, you know, very, very badly. Um, but, you know, hopefully they're in the process of dragging themselves up off the canvas and um, hopefully we'll see the green shoot soon. And are the financials good, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I mean, the businesses, it, it, the, the revenues are about 50% of what they were pre-COVID. But uh, nevertheless, it's still generating cash. It's st- you know, the, This company, I think, are... They're controlling the controllables. They're doing whatever they can that's under their control. Things like the components, uh, it's a crisis. You know, there's there's a limit to what they can do. Um, if if it's a case of these chip or component suppliers, if they're going to s- supply Tesla or are they going to supply Zytronic, who's going to be first in the queue? So they've had to get in line. Um, they're having to buy these components on the what they call the gray market so you know that that price is three or four times so that that's a hit but if they can just weather this storm i've got uh, uh, high hopes for this for this business in the long term if they can come through this then uh, and they're doing they're doing quite well given given the the brick bats that they've had to had to weather then uh, you know i think it could be a, a good future and what is zitronic's market cap well, the current market capitalization is just 13.2 million. So this is a very, very small business. Uh, this is a, a small business. Uh, its turnover is about 12.3 million. A turnover the last year was 12.3 million. Uh, but previously, you know, the, the turnovers were, was in the 20s, you know, 22, 23 million with profit uh, regularly in the four to five million pound, ter- you know, region. So, you know, it's, it's been quite, it's been quite a hit. But there are some defensive um, qualities there in that, you know, it's currently holding £6.8 million worth of cash. And um, if you include the uh, the land, the freehold property and the long leasehold property, that's about, you know, £3.85 million, something like that. And that was interesting that came up um, is that um, that was last valued in 2012. So that you know that will be, that would be interesting. What that current value could be, and in their operations outside of the UK, what's their geographical split? Yeah, well, the the, the largest split is uh, Asia Pacific, which is almost predominantly South Korea, which is forty five percent of the of the turnover. After that, it's thirty percent is uh, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Twenty percent is the Americas, and then the UK, just five percent. How many people work at Zytronic? Is it a large workforce? Uh, currently, one hundred and twenty-one employees. So that again, it, it, it's a medium-sized concern. Now, you bought this stock back in two thousand and fifteen at a price that is higher than the the current value, but you've told me that yes. you're still confident that it was the right choice. So, what's your reasoning behind that? Well, again, I think it's the long-term future. You know, I mean, just to, to, to be precise about it, I, my first entry back in 2015 was £3.05. And, and, 
and uh, currently they trade at one pound thirty. Uh, I made a couple of additions in subsequent years. Uh, then COVID hit, which was you know very very helpful, of course. And then last year, uh, I was probably a little bit ahead of the game, whereby I thought the fortunes could be turning more quickly than what what they did. I made four successive additions at in four successive months at 153, 151, 163, and £1.80. I think I got my finger stuck at that stage. Um, but, you know, I'm quite pleased where, um, where I am with this in, in, in relation to the portfolio. It's about 1.5% of my my total holding, my to- my, of my, my, my portfolio. Now, some time ago, I helped you build a raft out of bamboo, and I'd noticed it had gone missing for a couple of days. So where have you been? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for helping with that, Paul. Um, I actually went to the uh, the AGM. Uh, the raft took me all the way up the Tyne, or Bladen, uh, to be precise, and went to the uh, uh, the AGM uh, of Zytrock, which is the first time I've attended. And I have to say, it was a very, very useful exercise. Um, I was very, very pleased with the annual general meeting and for me it was something of a blueprint in how a an agm should be conducted uh it really was um i got there in in good time i always like to be prompt but um met the the ceo um mark cambridge downstairs and 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 he had a chat on a one-to-one we you know i was the first shareholder there and uh, I had a number of questions I wanted to ask on the day. And I wasn't, all these AGMs are, are, are slightly different and you don't know how you're going to be received. So you think, well, I'm going to be allowed to ask all the questions that I'd like to. So I thought, well, I'll fill my boots now and, and start asking him some, uh, you know, uh, ju- just, just between the two of us. So I banked a few of those. Um, and then, uh, so he gave me some uh, one-to-one time. Uh, I, uh, asked a question about um, uh, John Walter, who is the new, he's a fellow shareholder and he's, he's coming on to, onto the board as a, uh, as a temporary basis. And uh, just said, what qualities could, could he bring? And uh, Mark said, well, you can ask him yourself. He's just coming through the door now. So we had a, I met John, a really nice guy. I think we had about 10 minutes together. So what's John Walter's background? Well, John's a former, invest, former investment banker and wealth manager uh, with over 25 years experience. Uh, and he's worked for NatWest Markets and Chase Manhattan Bank. And now he's running his own fund. So he seems like he's, he seems to know what he's doing. So was it just an AGM or did you get a chance to take a look around the production facility? No, it was an annual general meeting, uh, followed by a tour of the factory. And these always offer value in that you're not just going to an office somewhere uh, that's that's in the city of London, something like that. It's at their premises. So following that, I think the annual general meeting lasted for about an hour. And we had a tour of the factory. All right, they've got three factories. So this is another thing that helps you understand where they describe these three factories. They're actually you know, three separate buildings on the same site so that it helps you understand what they do and um their technical director or our technical director andrew morrison uh, we were split up into two groups uh, he took myself around and another shareholder and he was absolutely fantastic he really had uh, very enthusiastic and had a way of communicating what the business does to somebody who's as a bit of a layman like myself and um you know we went through it from the first the first 
uh, factory whereby the raw glass comes in where the glass is treated. It's, uh, it's become uh, strengthened. It's perhaps bent. And then uh, we go through to the uh, other two factories, which are a mirror image of one another. And that's where they, they, uh, they adhere the, the copper to it and put the brains on, which are the, the chips and the components. So it really was a good exercise for me to understand what they do. And you can see how they're adding value through the process. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, w- it was 10 out of 10. It was, it was time well spent. So what kind of questions uh, did you have for the executives there? Well, I opened up with the on the, the financial um, on the financial side, i.e. the ATMs. Uh, that's taken a little bit of a hit. And my question was, is this a long-term decline or where we are just in the cycle? And the feeling was it was where we are in, in the cycle, in that the, these things really generally get re, remodeled every you know five or seven, ten years, something like that. And the last time this, this came around for them to pitch, they missed out. They didn't feel like they had the right offering at that moment in time. So these opportunities will likely come around again. Uh, they're thinking about 2025, 27. So that'll be the, the chance to give them the the next chance at it. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win all that business, but at least, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll still think they're, they're in the game. And uh, yeah. then asked about vending, as I've mentioned, you know, I do think this has got a long-term future and I think they do as well. I think they feel that uh, vending is, is going to be something that's going to be a long-term driver for the business. So it's was, an, another export. Sorry, go on, Paul. So, well, I was going to ask, you were, you were talking about being shown around and some another investor was um, being shown something, but how many people were there? Was it well attended? Uh, there were five, five shareholders. Is that, kind of, is that kind of a normal? I mean, I know you see the real importance of going to these things, you know, if, you, if you're a shareholder, but is that sort of like low or high? Well, it depends on the company, uh, but I did ask... Uh, historically what kind of what kind of um attendance they'd had and they said it had varied in the past they've had about as many as eight and sometimes on a previous occasion they'd had none so i think uh five was about in in the middle you know which I, i've got to say gabe probably gave me the opportunity to to ask you know more of the questions that, that you know that i wanted to um i mean another one that i asked was um you know it's an export champion but the, you know the the UK only accounts for five percent of sales, and I said, is that not an opportunity that we can take an opportunity we can take an advantage of? And um, really, the answer was, well, there's not a great deal of manufacturing in the UK. That's mm. why it is you know overseas. A lot of what they, they they produce is sent overseas, and it comes back as product as a finished ATM or a venue machine, a ticket machine, or something like that. But there's very little manufacturing of uh, you know, that utilize this technology in the uk uh and then asked about the components again uh the component problem uh, whereby they, they're having to pay three you know three to four times um in the, the going price in the in what they call the gray market but i did ask about their existing supplier well, i said are they taking the advantage to, to price gouge and they said no they're keeping the price the same the only problem is that can't get hold of any so that's a that's a problem that they've got um 
Now, uh, they said they've been cannibalizing certain products that they've got to get hold of these components, but there's, there's, there's a limit to what you can do from you know, uh, taking bits out of other, other machines. So there's that. Uh, another question I posed was uh, in the report, it says that the two largest customers account for 33% of the, of the revenue. So my question was, well, what does the biggest customer account for? It's not like 32% or 1%. And the, the answer again was, it's um, it's pretty evenly distributed between the two. It's almost identical. So that again, that I've got all the, the eggs in one basket. That's what you put here is like a potential risk, I suppose, isn't it? The, that yeah, because I would obviously you know yeah. I know you have to an- analyze the risks as well as the the potential rewards with with that. Yeah, but I suppose out of the th- I'd rather have the thirty three percent split between you know evenly between two rather than a bit lopsided. You know, it's thir- you know thirty percent and three. And then I left a, I, I, my last question was what I call like a Columbo which is by, uh, well, it wasn't meant to be a Columbo. It was like the number of accidents that they've had in the premises, which seemed to be um, that they give every year. And it was 13 for the last, uh, for like 13 accidents over the year, which if you strip out the, um, the administrative st- staff, which I don't think they'll be going to hurting themselves with a photocopier or a, a stapler or something like that. So you've got 91 production staff. So that's an accident for about every seven people. And um, I was assured that these are, are pretty low-grade accidents. You know, somebody walks into a door or stubs their toe or something like that. That goes down as an accident. So um, especially I asked that question before we had the factory tour as well, because I thought, is it safe to go around? You know, that was a quite reassuring that I was, I was going to be dodging, you know, uh, shards of glass or anything like that. But um, There's probably a lot of people yeah. stub their fingers poking touch screens, you know, all the time. Yeah, well, yeah, repetitive strain or something like that. Yeah, RSI um, injuries. Yeah. So altogether, a yeah. well worthwhile visit. Yeah, it re- it really was. I thought it was, you know, leaving the leaving the fortunes of the business to to one side, and hopefully it's got a, a good future. I thought it was an excellent exercise. It, it really, it really, and you know, I take my hats off. Uh, they, they were fully engaging. Um, the you know the book it wasn't a case that they're going to try and wrap this thing up as, as quickly as possible. Uh, they really wanted to engage with the show. In fact, they were quite. Dis- and I spoke to Mark. You know, one of his dif- di- uh, disappointments is the low voting. In that the votes cast are just about five percent of the total. Um, you know the the, the the total number of uh, shares in issue with about I think about you know just over ten million. So do you, I mean can anybody go? To an age, I mean, did you get invited specifically to this, or can, and can any shareholder just turn up? No, it's, it's open to share. It's open to shareholders. You've got to, you've got to register to attend. You've got to, you know, um, you know. I, I went through my my broker, and uh, I've got to, you know, I've got to advise them that I'm turning up, and I've got to take a, a passport to show that I'm, I'm, high, you know, who I am. So, so some, if if somebody listening to this is like you said, starting the journey with this, and they wanted to to look at going to AGMs as a part of their research, then it's not difficult to do that, but they can do it through their broker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, you do pick things up. You do pick things up like almost by, by osmosis and and the character. I mean, one of the questions that was, you know, another gentleman, he said, look, you were at, you were at in the mid-20 millions, early 20 millions turnover. Do you think you can get back to that? And it was quite a... Um, 
a forceful yes. You know, that's very much the aim. There's no reason that why we can't. And really, I think once they get the, the you know the components back in, then you know that 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 that's a real that's sort of slowing down the invoicing because they just can't get the, that, that those those parts in to get the the product out through the door um now one thing that they, they, they use quite a bit there was an announcement on the on the day uh agm update and you know what some of the criteria that they use is the is the crm and it shows the the opportunities that they've got now this is what I call soft data. I don't know what you feel about CRMs, but it shows the the opportunities in or the, the pipeline and the opportunities that they've got. And um, you know, that's they've got five hundred and five live opportunities now, as against four hundred and eighty four at the uh, financial year end. So that's going in the right direction. And this has got. They also give this a customer projected lifetime value. So that's not going to be in the next 12 months, but over, over its lifetime, what's uh, life, you know, what's the, the revenue likely to be? And that's 60, about 61 million pounds at the moment. Now, I call this soft data because nothing's guaranteed in any of this. It doesn't mean that because, you know, not you, 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 just because your, your opportunities have gone up 20% doesn't mean your turnover is going to go up 20%. But I can see that if you've no opportunities, it's not looking good. But it is a good guy. I, th- I would call it a guide rather than, you know, I, it, 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 it's, it's something, it's not a guarantee. You know, it's not a guarantee. You know, guarantee is not a word in my vocabulary. If you want to guarantee, buy a watch. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the other, there's two bits of data that they they put out on the day. One was the net cash, 6.10. That's a definite figure that that's something that's, that's, that's pretty concrete. The the 6.8 million cash, the, you know, the opportunities great, but that's slightly softer data to me, but you know, it's still something to consider that they're, they're traveling in the right direction. Okay, so you mentioned something about share buybacks. What, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, well, um, this is a company that's been, you know, historically very, very cash generative. And uh, they've been using some of the excess cash in the absence, you know, the argument is of anything better else to, to do with the money, uh, rather go on some kind of folly of going on some kind of acquisition that backfires. It's, it's either to give it back to the shareholders in the way of dividends or, cancel some of the stock, cancel some of the shares. So since 2015, when I purchased into this business, they had 15.3 million shares. And through successive buybacks and tender offer, that's now down to 10.1 million. So just by standing still, my my percentage in the business has grown. So, you know, they've re- they basically retired a third, a third of the shares over the last over the last eight years. So that's a lot. And that is something. So again, if we can if we can bounce back, you know, this is you know, hopefully that's that's been a good use of their money or our money cancelling these shares. So basically, you know, the profits begin any future profit is going to be divided by a fewer number of shares. I mean, so obviously, there's lots of advice out there for investors about using particular uh, techniques to do um, the analysis of the worth of companies. But there is more than just looking at the the raw data is more than just looking at the figures and the graphs um your, your understanding of where the company's going uh, and being able to discuss issues with them like that just gives you a far better insight yeah 
Yeah, and you're looking at the you know you just looking at an organic business. You look at where where's the world going. You might not be able to understand you know reports and accounts and the financials, but I, I think you know a lot of people have got a, a a clear understanding of you know businesses that are have got a good future and other ones that are in decline. For example, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest buying a a newspaper business these days. Anyway, just just as a a broad example. So how do people find out about Zytronic? Well, as ever, I always go to the website. But in the case of Zytronic, they've got two websites. So uh, have a look at both of those. One is the investor-led side, which is ZytronicPLC.com. But also there's a customer-focused website, Zytronic.co.uk. So I would my advice would be to look at both of those. So, Paul, what have you got there? Well, it's a bottle washed up on the beach earlier. Seems to have a, a message in it. Let's have a look. Well, it's not a message. It's a question in a bottle from a chap called Matthew Ellis. And Matthew asks, Mark, when do you sell your stock? Well... What a what a good question. Um, first, I'd say that I know Matt. Uh, I know Matt through investing uh, and his forty is investment trusts and and dividend stocks. He likes his dividends, don't we all? And uh, he's an exponent of fire, financial independence, retire early. And I thought I'd done well retiring at fifty three, but uh, he's he's done it at fifty one. So so well done, well done, Matt. And he seems to spend a lot of time cycling around Europe. So. Uh, well done there. So when to sell? I think like a lot of investors, it's actually more, di- that's the more difficult side than the buying, you know, when to sell. And um, probably the short answer is probably either too early or too late over the years. That's that, that, like, like a lot of people, but, you know, we get it wrong. It's that timing, it's that market timing thing. So, um, you know, one thing I've, probably, probably one of the reasons I've, I've changed my like philosophy over the years is to because it is so difficult. It's a contributing factor into well, hopefully I can and I'll never I'll never sell because it's difficult to to, to get it right or you know trade as infrequently as I can. Uh, for in the case of you know going back to Zytronic, you know that's a, a stock that I'd held for 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 eight years. Um, so there's, there's a number of reasons why it, it, it's it's difficult. Um, price anchoring. You know, people get obsessed with the with the price that they've they've paid, and really, once you once you've bought that stock, you know the price has, has no bearing on your decision making process, other than perhaps capital gains or something like that. Um, you know, if, if it drop if you buy it, buy it at a pound and it drops to, you know, to to fifty pence, then people hold on to a stock because they think that well, it, I want I want to get want it to get back to a pound, but it doesn't know that that stock doesn't know that you own it. It doesn't know that you want it to go back to a pound. And if you think that, well, I've made a bad decision, you know, the best thing is just to is just to cut and run. I got it wrong and get rid of it. Now, just because it's dropped, it doesn't mean you have to sell it because you might think 
again, going back to Zytron, you know, the price has fallen down, but I think it's it's in a good place relative to the price. So why should I sell just the, rather than think that, well, I've, t- I've taken a loss? So, you know, when it comes to losses, you know, one of the benefits is that you can only, only lose 100%. That's, that's the beauty of it in the that's all you can lose. But on the upside, if you get it right, then it can, it can multiply or multi-bag, you know, a, a, a number of times. So, you know, we hear people going on, you know, 10 baggers, something like that, you know. So I think what you think you've got to accept is that if you've got a broad portfolio, there are going to be some losers. That That's like, that's on the downside. So I, and I wouldn't boot yourself up very much at all if you if you look at that portfolio and i mean a lot of people i mean going back uh, lord lee for example he, he advocates if you've got a share that's that's that's, that's, that's declined sharply just get rid of it because looking at it on your screen saps your confidence well that 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 doesn't seem to affect me in that i can just accept that there are going to be some winners and there's going to be some losers and hopefully you know the winners will will do a lot better than the like way the losers so that's something that i can i can take on the chin that if you know just accept that um i've got a i've made a i've made a bad decision all right so it, the, the stock's gone down then you've got people who have stop losses um, they, they put a price in if it drops x percent that the stock sells irrespective of what the reason might be uh it might bounce back afterwards i've never had a stop loss so uh, I'm sometimes you, you'll you'll have a stock that's, for example, take something like uh, Greg's for example. You know, sometimes that might have a bit of a hit if there's been some hot weather. People aren't eating sausage rolls, and you know, short term that takes a little bit. Of hit. I see those as buying opportunities to you know to top up, because I'm looking you know five, ten, fifteen years ahead. I'm not just looking for, you know, I'm not I'm not sat there in front of the screen trying to you know buy and sell it in a day. Um, in the past, I've top sliced when a, a stock's done very, very well. I've locked in some of my profit. I've perhaps sold, um, you know, say fifty percent or something like that. Locked in my profit, uh, but now, you know, I, I think I've learned from that, and I just tend to to, to ride my winners a lot more. Uh, I don't, um, I don't just try to take that, you know, a quick a quick profit. Um, this, this sometimes, uh, demergers that, that, that can be a reason why I sell in that if a, a company splits into two and there's a part of the business I'm not particularly attracted to, I'll get rid of that element of it. Or sometimes very, very infrequently, it's an even split. So you might be left with a, a small, a small rump and that doesn't have a, a pivotal role in the portfolio. So that's another time that I'd sell. Um, I've got to say that, you know, takeovers are probably the best, one of the best reasons to sell because the decision's taken out of your hands. Uh, that's, um, you know, you don't have to make a decision. So that's that's that, that very, very easy. I think I'm probably, you know, trying to hold hold them for the for the long time to take that that process out, that out of the decision-making process about when, when to sell. And then there's things like personal circumstances. Um, you know, my current house, it's, um, I traded up a, a lot many, many years ago and uh, I had a largest holding in, in BT and I liquidated that stock in order to, to put that capital into the house. So, so that's like a personal 
you know, sometimes your personal circumstances, you know, necessitate um, a sale. Um, yeah, and then and then there was another circumstance where I, where, where I made a sale. Uh, it, it was a stock that I held, a paper manufacturer called James Cropper, and I was from the paper industry. I felt like I, I knew that very well. Uh, and at the time, I thought that that share was very, very undervalued, which it was. And um, I bought a significant holding in that. And uh, there really was a conviction, conviction purchase. And sure enough, uh, the share price started recovering and uh, and took off and it, and it tripled. And um, I, I sold out of that. I sold out of that business because at the time... I had a young family and I was in a sales profession, which can be precarious. And I decided to lock in that in that value and, and split that with, between four dividend stocks because I thought if anything ever goes per share for me, that will provide me with some, some income that I can draw on if I need to. Um, and, you know, that helped me, helped me sleep at night. That was where, because the fact was that the, that that holding had grown out of total all proportion to you know it was something like about thirty five percent of my portfolio was it was in that holding it really grew, you know grown so you know the, the, the truth is you know I, I never lost my job and that stock went on to go on instead of tripling it went on about ten times so so I would have been better off holding it but you know the the price went from what I saw as value to speculative. Again, it's those personal circumstances that you've got to you've got to think about. You know about where you are. You know now I've not. It's not these things aren't as pivotal for me. Grown up family, no mortgage. You know these aren't. Uh, you know the decisions I, I nearly I, I have to make. I don't have to lock in that kind of um, profit. Um, I have uh, trimmed the the portfolio a little bit just to give me a little bit of head, headroom. Because I thought I was, I was bumping at the top of the portfolio in, in regards to numbers, so uh, I've looked at some other businesses uh, in the re, you know recent years. I've got you know I always have a couple on my watch list. It's never a broad list because there's a number of criteria they've got to get through. And I did some you know research on Ch my broker Charles Stanley that looked attractive, and uh, Devereaux, the sausage skin maker, and that also looked attractive. But I didn't feel I had room in the portfolio. So both of those have been bought out. So, um, you know, perhaps if I'd have had a, 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 narrower, a narrower portfolio, I'd have added those. So um, I, you know, I've been gradually just reducing just a little bit the number. That, just give me that opportunity if something comes along to add it to the portfolio. And, um, you know, one thing I've learned is that you know, you can love a stock, but it, it, it can't it can't love you back. And I think this is one thing that I'm a little bit susceptible to is that because I invest for the long term and I get to know the business, sometimes I get to know the people. Uh, I find it a little bit, um, I won't say difficult to sell, but it's something I'm aware of. Um, I, I try to fight any kind of emotional attachment. I try to be hard-headed, but I think I'm loath to sell sometimes because I've done a lot of research and if I get rid of that business, then I've got to find something else. I've got to go on another kind of five, seven, eight year cycle of learning about that business and topping up that information. 
if I've got it wrong, you know, I've got to fight that and just say, right, it's got to go. It, you know, I've got it wrong um, and um, it's it, it's got to go out the portfolio. So I'm getting to understand that if you are investing in individual stocks rather than in a fund, uh, then you're going to have to do more uh, detailed analysis of the company and do your research and perhaps go to the AGMs. So, yeah, I guess it must be harder to part company uh, with that business if you had to. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can get you can get very, you know, you get to meet people, don't you? you, you if you're in friendships with them. But you've got to still have that hard-headed decision. If you if you if it's not working for you, if the business takes a turn for the worse, and sometimes you've just got to say, "I got it wrong." You know, I it's uh, I don't have to be right on every every one. I just need to be right more than I'm wrong. That's the that's the way. I mean, if you look at um, a lot of investments, a lot of good investors, you know, at the end of the year, you know. They might have fifty percent of the shares might have gone up, and fifty percent might have gone down. It's just that the fifty percent have gone up have had more scope for, as again, you know, there's no there's no ceiling on on the price that they can reach. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please remember the content is for information only, and it is not financial advice. If you would like to pop a question into a bottle for Mark. Just post your question in the comments and hopefully it'll reach the island in time for the next episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.